Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencor Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. Today, we will talk about Silicon Garbite, the next wave of Silicon Garbite, manufacturing, supply chain, and cost. The Silicon Garbite industry is growing in many markets. The electric vehicle market is preparing to move toward Silicon Garbite inverters, as Tesla has already done. Mercedes-Benz has adopted on semi-Silicon Garbite technology for traction inverters as part of a strategic collaboration. So, the range of Silicon Garbite devices is becoming well-recognized and offers a wideband gap alternative to traditional IGBT. As the industry moves from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, the adoption of new solutions that can increase efficiency and offer longer range and faster charging will provide benefits across the powertrain, and the device manufacturers want to ensure they have access to high-quality silicon carbide substrates to support their customers. In addition to the technical advantages, including switching speed, cost still remains an important point. Moreover, the importance of silicon carbide has prompted many companies to review and invest in wafer technology to define the development plans in line with the demand. There are several approaches to improving the supply side of silicon carbide devices. These range from scaling manufacturing with larger diameter single crystal wafers, improving performance, defectivity, and yield. All these improvements working together can help meet the exponential growth in demand foreseen for these power devices. In this podcast with Pietro Scalia, Director of Automotive Traction Solutions at Onsemi, we will discover the phase of manufacturing of silicon carbide solutions, design issues, and what there is behind its cost. Let's talk with Pietro. Hi Pietro, thanks a lot for coming on. How are you? Very well, Maurizio. Thanks for uh, having this session. Okay, so today we will talk uh, about uh, silicon carbide, the next wave of silicon carbide in terms of uh, manufacturing, supply chain, cost, and so on. But before that, tell us more about about you. Tell uh, our power electronics community more about about you. Thanks, Maurizio. So let's say I'm not new to power. It's about 30 years now of journey across different companies uh, and uh, I think like to say as well across different technologies. So I started, of course, with silicon across different applications, first telecommunication, then cloud, which are very big, uh, let's say, mega trends. Now this new automotive uh, electrification is a very exciting journey. And we are bringing wideband gap uh, finally into a different, let's say, availability status. Uh, very exciting to drive this extra revolution, which I believe has just started, but will consolidate 
So I started my my journey uh, in Siemens. Uh, then I have been working for Ericsson, ST Microelectronics, uh, and then moved to Germany. Those companies before were in Italy. Then I moved to Germany to Texas Instruments. And uh, lately, I've been part of Wide Bank Up uh, before with Warspeed, and now lately in the last two years with On Semiconductor, which is moving the industry to the next level in this uh, Wide Bank Up uh, area in automotive, especially. So, we have uh, several um, challenges uh, are that uh, are related to the to the growth and processing of silicon wafers before the manufacturing of uh, devices. So I would like to, to understand more. So let's understand which are the main steps, the main phases of silicon carbide manufacturing, maybe highlighting uh, some points where now there is uh, uh, a strong request, a, a request, I mean, of innovation. So how is silicon carbide fabrication different from that of silicon? And what are the main silicon carbide fab models? It will be very interesting to invite the audience uh, to have a journey through our facilities. Uh, in Hudson, uh, we started the production of this uh, box uh, of silicon carbide. And already watching at these uh, devices, you will see the incredible difference in silicon. Typically, I think everybody is familiar with this carrot or the pingot of uh, silicon, which is uh, very, very tall. In silicon carbide, we talk about... Uh, basically inches, which takes weeks to get uh, developed. So it's a much more difficult process uh, to grow uh, from the bare material, uh, the, 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 the pack that are needed for the following uh, phase of uh, creating the wafers. So it's a question of temperature. So it's a very heavy process in terms of energy consumption because the temperature is needed, is required, is about 3,000 Kelvin. This is made in special furnaces. Uh, on semi manufactures uh, its own furnaces. This is also very important. The company we acquired in 2021, GT Advanced, has a lot of uh, IPs. They started with Sapphire and then they went to silicon carbide, uh, both very, let's say, uh, hard material. The, the hardness of silicon carbide is, uh, is another point, right? I mean, only diamond basically is harder than that, but of course diamond gets consumed as well. So it's an expensive process uh, in all the three main steps. So the pack production, as we said, and then the, the wafering, which is also, say, quite, uh, quite different uh, than, uh, than silicon. We can talk a little bit more about that because, for example, on semi, we use uh, a, a way of propagating cracks, uh, which we uh, create by, um, by vibration. And then the third phase is more standard. The epitaxy is, uh, let's say, to some extent uh, similar. But in between the wafering and the epitaxy, the peculiarity here of silicon carbide are the defects. There are several defects which are intrinsic with the material, and they can be classified, um, and there is a lot of publication in literature. But what is very important as well is that uh, some of these defects are basically killer defects. So they must be removed from the wafers created, and this is uh, a very intense activity of screening that needs to be done uh, with, uh, say, wafer-level burning activities, 
and this is by optical as well, and this is intrinsic uh, new elements, uh, very different than, than silicon, that creates uh, as well uh, a, a lot of challenges for the yield of the entire process. Let's do a step a step back. Uh, let's understand what are, I mean, the main uh, uh, attributes that uh, of of silicon carbide, of course, that uh, have led to over twenty five years of uh, investment because there there were a lot of investments in this uh, technology and during this uh, development we have seen uh, um, the further reduction of area specific on state resistance in addition to the improvements of rds on also a reduction of in conduction losses uh, conduction losses for devices with the same chip area uh, how much performance can be gained by using silicon carbide in electric vehicles, for sure, but also in energy trends? I think these two areas you touched right are the area where we see the most massive adoption. I think it's very different if we talk about energy generation and storage, and if we talk about automotive, let me go with some numbers into automotive. Of course, we use silicon carbide starting from, uh, let's say, the onboard chargers, uh, going to the DC-DC and going to the AD traction. Uh, normally, efficiency improvement is very significant. So we talk about, uh, let's say, several units, sometimes even up to 7%. But then at the end of the story, for traction specifically, is about range. So if we start comparing basically solutions based on IGBT and solutions based on SIC, we are able to extend the number of kilometers that the car can do. So we do this exercise every day with tier one and OEMs, uh, even by 10%. So depending, of course, on the power of the motor. But now silicon carbide is going to supply motors up to 325, 350 kilowatt. The saving is huge. You see two motors, you can see one motor per wheel. Sometimes you can see even three motors in one car. And of course, all this power needs uh, the best efficiency. Otherwise, it's a big waste of, of energy. Going forward, the goal will be on uh, developing uh, technologies for expanding the application of these uh, uh, devices. Cost uh, reduction is a must. So uh, is uh, is important. Uh, how can silicon carbide wafer prices be reduced faster? And uh, what means the next step of 200 millimeter substrate? So silicon carbide devices are predominantly developed on 150 millimeter diameter substrates, and there is an upgrade uh, that should offer important advantages. So when can uh, can we see these uh, advantages? What do you think? I think there are three elements we need to consider. Um, first, let's divide into two categories. One is more uh, the market demand, which of course uh, generates the price at the end. The second one is more technical. So let's first go fast on the market demand. Clearly, there is a scarcity in capacity today, right? From all the players, from the five, six players we have in the market, there is not enough capacity to, uh, to fill the entire demand. This is changing fast. Clearly, production and investments are very high. I mean, on semi has officially announced last year 9% investment and now even going to 15% investment, most dedicated into silicon carbide. 
And the interesting thing is that even if this number is growing, say the, the investors are pleasing our title because clearly they believe that this investment is worth and will generate revenue for the, for the company and profit. So the market demand at some point will be uh, a little bit uh, better fulfilled and definitely after the, the, the mid of this decade, we will see uh, an improvement in that sense. Right now, the scarcity clearly brings uh, prices uh, to an higher level. If we go on the technical side, I believe there are several, two, uh, two elements. Let's focus on two elements we need to mention. The first one is the diameter, right, as you, as you discussed. I would like to uh, here highlight uh, how long it took, like in silicon, to move, uh, let's say, from one step to another. And here again, in white bang up, you see this acceleration extremely wild. So 200 millimeters is now in work, for sure, at least I can talk about on semi. Our CEO has been announcing this in the, in the, in the stock uh, analyst uh, um, uh, meetings. Um, we, we are going basically to start production in 2025. We have already material that the GT advanced as had already at the time of the acquisition. Now, of course, scaling this up to volume takes some time because the challenges remain, right? Uh, we talked about defects, right? Defects sometimes are very dense into the edge of the wafer. So, of course, you don't want to scale up and then uh, describe, discovering that you have a lot of defects then your yield is not sustainable. So the yield makes price, right? And the yield of silicon carbide, and now I introduce the third point, uh, I think it's also a very key element for pricing. Today, we all try to produce, at least with yield north of 70%, there are better numbers, we might have better numbers, all depends also on the size of the die. Let's assume that 25 millimeter square today is kind of a market standard. We need to be in that area, I said before. So this yield will, should not decrease as soon as you increase the, the wafer size. Absolutely, an 18-inch should have similar yield. So this is one call to action and one challenge. I think on the other side, let's also talk about the technology. So... Uh, who started the market uh, some years ago? Um, Wolfpit, Cree in the past. Uh, they started Planner on Semi, also started Planner. And we have, uh, we have developed uh, uh, across Planner different generation. We are now at the fourth generation. Planner has provided a lot of possibility of protecting the gate of the structure because this is one of the key elements of reliability. Um, silicon carbide has a, a very high uh, energy uh, density, close uh, and high voltage density, uh, close to the gate you need to protect. Doing this in a trench structure was very difficult. So what was the impact? Other competitors have decided to go trench soon, but they paid this in terms of, uh, of, uh, of uh, active area. The active area is the area of the silicon carbide you use for conduction. Of course, when you want to pay for 25 millimeter square silicon carbide, you like to have almost 100%. Let's say a realistic number is uh, between 80 and 90%, even higher possibly. And uh, doing this with a trench in the past was almost impossible. So if you analyze 
some competition, the ICU would find a very low active area ratio. Today, it's possible to do something different because in the meantime, the technology enables basically the possibility of going trench. Trench, like in silicon, is definitely an obvious way to go to increase density and to, of course, enable a better, better, better price. So what do we see in the market? We also announced, Monsemi has announced that the M4 will be trench. And uh, I think other competitors who were planner are probably doing the same. So the market is moving to trench because today we can still have active area in the 90% using trench. This is a big revolution. So to recap this very long part, I think uh, I wish to highlight that there is a component given to the market. So the market capacity availability, a second element, which is definitely the 8 inch is coming into place. And the third element, which is a technology shift from planner to trench without uh, overkilling the, uh, the ratio of the active area, because we have the way now to protect the gate anyway and make the, the technology more robust. This is, of course, proprietary technology. I cannot explain too much how we do it. Oh, let's talk about another big topic, reliability. <clears throat> so in terms of reliability issues, Uh, gate oxide reliability, threshold voltage instability, and and others, so have been uh, investigated uh, in uh, in the last uh, in the last years. Maybe the the gate oxide will be the most important. And so tell me what you think because it should determine the the gate oxide quality determines the lifetime operational lifetime of signal uh, verbide devices. So what are your considerations? You're absolutely correct, Maurizio. So the gate is definitely a key part here, right? I mean, a drift into the VTH means a drift into the RDSO, right? And uh, as you said at the beginning, right, uh, the, the decrease of the specific resistance is one of the goals we have, yes. right? So today, the technology is in the range, let's say, of five uh, million per centimeter square at uh, high temperature, 175 and we are going down and down. But again, the VTH needs to be super stable. So, and this is again, part of the concept I introduced before about how to protect your gate from high voltage, how to protect for the high field. And um, there are techniques uh, that uh, enable us. Um, actually, Onsem is very proud to have a super stable VTH. There are some tests today done uh, now by AKG34, even with, uh, say, dynamic uh, um, gate bias, which are stressing the modules where the silicon carbide dice are placed, which are probably uh, put in place uh, to respond to, to these characteristics. We have to say that JEDEC is doing a great job, and uh, thanks to the contribution, of course, from the industry and from also the semiconductor industry, Um, and we are moving fast. I think uh, uh, five years ago, we thought like silicon carbide uh, was immature in terms of robustness. Today, we think the opposite, because indeed uh, we have a lot of hours in the field. And honestly, uh, the level of confidence is increased a lot. We have a very, very few failures. Uh, and frankly speaking, interaction, I can compare, I have more return from the field in IGBT than I have in silicon carbide today. So let's move on supply chain. So supply chain with the goal to be vertically integrated, 
is uh, as, as much as possible is very relevant. Supply chain uh, capacity for uh, wafers, both wafers and uh, devices needs to, to increase for sure. And uh, the cost for wafer still needs to, to, to be reduced, to come down. So what are the improvements that uh, the technology uh, are looking for? And uh, the approach for sure to semiconductor fabrication and packaging should play, also plays an important role in device reliability. What about supply chain? So, of course, uh, let's say price reduction is always a delicate topic, right? It involves uh, procurement and it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's difficult to put uh, without the graphic. But let me say, if we keep specific resistance uh, constant, right, we will see uh, cost decreasing. There is no question about that. Of course, the appetite comes uh, because as soon as the technology increases, improves, uh, you wish to see as well the RSP decreasing. So maybe at that point, uh, the careful price becomes flat. So I can say that the vectors we have today, one is the move to the higher wafer size. The second one is the reduced pitch. We are now in the range of a couple of micro micromillimeter. Uh, enables definitely the trend in the direction that uh, that the market is demanding. Coming to the supply chain, it's absolutely essential to control all the steps. Uh, with the acquisition of the GT Advanced, uh, we have done this step. Uh, it was a big, big investment, but extremely strategic because you need to control the entire flow to control capacity. Today, we work uh, with capacity under control when customers come with a new opportunity. There is not enough capacity, right? You need definitely to put investment, and you can do only if you control the entire supply chain. The customers, OEMs, tier one, are very happy to know that their supply is under control, not by two or three parties, but one party, right? They sign agreement, um, typically strategical, long-term, five, ten years, right? Because people want to secure the material to be sure that they can deliver cars. I mean, we have, uh, during COVID, assisted with this very crazy delivery crisis of the market, nobody wants to see anything like that. When we are replacing IC motors with uh, energy and with uh, electrical motors, so the supply chain is a very key point. And the only way to secure in a very responsible way to customers the capacity is to own the entire steps. So to own uh, bull creation, to own wafering, to know happy, and if we talk about power modules as well, to own the the uh, the end part of the production. Before my last last question, I would like to talk with you about packaging. So, um, wideband gap uh, devices. I mean, gallium nitride and silicon carbide, uh, for sure, promise higher operating temperatures and greater efficiency. This is well known. But there are thermal uh, management concerns that designers need to, to take into account when uh, designing uh, these devices into a system. How do you see thermal management demands with increasing power density impacting the future development of process and packaging technologies, which is 
your strategy about this uh, packaging technology? Very relevant, especially. So, uh, we said before, right, to try to reduce price, right, increase performance, we are as well reducing the pitch of the guide that I are becoming more and more dense, means a lot of watts are confined in a very limited space. So we know silicon carbide, of course, can resist at higher temperatures and has a great thermal resistance, but we need to dissipate from a very small space. So the package needs to come uh, in help. In that sense, there are different techniques, uh, but let me say, today's sintering of the dye is mandatory, let me say, state of art, uh, that you, have, you must have in the market. And this comes uh, top and bottom. We have what we call uh, SPM. It's a metallization that, uh, that is soldering top, uh, soldering sintrable top metal and bottom metal. So we can sinter the dye in both directions. And I think this is essential. This enables you as well to have an isotropic dissipation inside the, the module. The module needs to come as well with materials Definitely, that can operate uh, with junctions up to 200 degrees because, again, silicon carbide can extend its its range easily above silicon, which is traditionally limited at 175. But the epoxy of the transfer molded needs to come along. The clips are very strategical as well to extract uh, the heat. As I said, they they can be sintered, they can be soldered. And the mechanics as well is super important to spread the heat because the current, typically these are applications where you have multiple dyes in parallel. The current needs to flow in a very homogeneous way. So you need to be very sure that inside your power module, you have a good current sharing. And this happens not only due to the characteristics of the dye, but also to the characteristics of the encapsulation. Something we didn't say about the dye, and this is also important to remember, the dye needs to become a bit smarter. In the sense, it needs to uh, include some features, for sure temperature monitoring, but also current monitoring. In this way, you can have inside your module more intelligence. You can monitor not just voltages, temperature, as we said, which is very traditional, but also current to try to understand if there are dangerous differences of temperature. The temperature needs to be homogeneous, and current is, of course, a very good representation. You can really measure power at that point if you control current and voltage. We have this in our roadmap and implementation of the BRDI, and this goes in combination with the power modules that we are manufacturing right now. In conclusion, Pietro, what are your next projects about Silicon Garbide? So Silicon Garbide, but also again, uh, can contribute to the to the cre creation of the next generation uh, smart grid to solve uh, um, energy problems, in particular uh, talking about electric vehicles. So what is the future that is waiting for, for us? But in particular, in the long term, how do you think Sino-Garbite-based power devices should evolve to meet the requirements, the next more stringent requirements of industry? I think uh, we, we have to be honest, right? This, this decade, it's still the decade of, uh, of IGBT and silicon for uh, this uh, high power application. On the other side, uh, silicon carbide will start dominating already the business starting 2025. Now, talking also about Wabenga and including GAN, clearly we see that uh, in energy and also into the front end, uh, up to 650, GAN will have a very good uh, 
growth, uh, even if today is far behind the silicon carbide. In the high voltage, so clearly an application where the battery is 800 volt, silicon carbide will be the king. And it's now spreading uh, even at low power because IGBT does not really pay the bill. The, the ratio of uh, area of IGBT needed for the same power than silicon carbide is even higher than three. And sometimes there is this magic number that procurement had in mind. The silicon carbide is three times more expensive than IGBT. So IGBT is not paying the bill. So at the end of the story, silicon carbide is invading below 150 kilowatt, even in the very low power, and it's going definitely up to 350 kilowatt that we, we see in different, in different motors. So we have in front of us, I think, a very exciting Second part of the decade, still to struggle the next couple of years with capacity. Everybody's investing massively on semi. Again, it's basically building a double capacity into Rosnov in Czech, in Czech Republic. We have this year expanded five times Atsun, the facility for the, for the book of, uh, of, uh, uh, um, of silicon carbide boots. And the AP, of course, is always important to invest there because the lead time is quite important. So we are limited in capacity for the next two or three years in the market. But I think starting 2025, silicon carbide will be ubiquitous. And I think in front of us, we have a very nice decade of development of this exciting technology. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Pietro. Thanks a lot for your support at PowerUp. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maurizio. Thanks again to be your guest. Thank you, Pietro. So, Silicon Carbide is invading below 160 kilowatt, even in very low power, and it's going definitely up to 250 kilowatts that we see in different models. For 200 millimeters is now in work, for sure, as Pietro said, and on semi is going basically to start production in 2025. They have developed different generation. Uh, they are at the fourth generation, with a lot of possibility of protecting the gate of the structure, that is one of the key elements of reliability. The level of confidence is increased a lot. As Pietro said, we have very, very few failures. And in front of us, we have a very nice decade of development of this exciting technology. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this uh, on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. PowerUp is brought to you by Aspencore Media, the host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio, and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening, see you next episode, stay tuned.